Hello, it is me, Ronald, and we are back with another episode of the Arama Japan podcast. We are covering the month of May 2021, this episode. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Hannah. Hello. So we have many topics to cover tonight. So we're going to start with one of the biggest ones, which was a big surprise to people, but kind of not really a surprise. And that would be pretty shocking to me. The very first thing that I said when I heard about it was, wait, you mean like in real life, right? (laughs) You you messaged me and and I was just like, you messaged me and I was just like, is this for real? Is this like not yeah. their drama? So we're okay. talking about this is the a marriage. drama special, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking about the marriage of Hoshino Gin and Aragaki Yui. So basically their drama, what's the name of their drama again, Hannah? It's like Nigehaji, I know is the abbreviated version, but it's some stupid, absurdly long title. Oh, I found it. Nigeru wa hajida ga yaku ni tatsu. So that's the name of, so basically the English name of the drama is We Got Married as a Job. So basically the premise is, is that Gen is Yui's boss and they get married. Like he kind of like proposes marriage to her as like, as like a, as like a show, right? Yeah. Like he kind of like, he he has her pretend to be his wife for like appearances but then they actually do fall in love. And then, so the drama was a big hit. Um, Gen's biggest song ever, Koi, was the theme song for it. Like, the video of him and Yui doing the Koi dance together is, like, massive. And then earlier this year, they had a Christmas, no, a New Year special, at the beginning of the year, where they have a baby. So basically what happened was um, Gen got on Instagram and he was just like, hey, we're getting married. From now on, I would like to work together and live a calm life. Also, I would like to take more care of each other. Of, I would like to take more care of each of my activities, like music, acting, writing than ever before. Thank you very much for your warm support. I would like to continue doing what I find interesting so that those who support me near and far can enjoy even more. And I was like, oh, get acknowledged us, Hannah. I guess so. But it's also just kind of like one of those things where I'm like, first off, I totally didn't see this coming. Like nobody knew they were dating. People were just like, whoa. it It was kind of rumored. Like afterwards, it comes out that it's kind of rumored. But then um, Yui released a statement, too, saying, um, I started working when I was a teenager, and with the support of many people, I would have been able, I have been able to continue my activities through the present day. The days of trial and error in the field are exciting ones, talking about dating. But in my personal life, I've been trying to find a more calm time. I wondered if the day would come when I would report to everyone the status of my private life. I would like us to live a calm, modest, but prosperous life together. Interesting thing, though, is that her statement also talked about her leaving her management company, Les Pros Entertainment, and saying that she would continue to work independently. So it's just like, oh, you're getting married and you're slipping that little bit in there, too. It was totally like an afterthought. And people only caught on like literally six hours later being like, oh, wait, she actually left her company. (laughs) Yeah. So the thing is, though, is that basically their drama became real life. 
and people are just like, what the hell? It wasn't even just like the drama. It was also there was a trending term called like the Nintendo marriage because they're both spokespeople for the Nintendo Switch. So they were like, oh, my God, they're like married both on this drama and on this commercial. And now it's real life. So after the initial announcement, we got more background on um, what actually led to the marriage. So um, going back to the part about her leaving her management company, a big rumor that came out after that was revealed was that she is going to do the great tradition of every good Japanese woman and retire after she gets married. They were literally keep like calling her Horikita Maki too. It's just like, oh, a woman in Japan be married and work? We can't have that. She must retire. Although I do find it funny that Lesbros and her are separating ways, which makes me think that maybe they didn't want this to happen. But they may or may not really be separating. So, um, So basically what happened was they announced their marriage and the next day... Then, like, later on, a rumor started emerging called um, the Gaki Management, then the Gaki Marriage Retirement Theory, which says that she is set to retire in 2023. Which is her final drama, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they wanted to clarify a couple of things. A couple of things were clarified. They haven't yet registered their marriage at the time they announced it, but they plan to do so. She also isn't pregnant, so this isn't a shotgun wedding. I know that's Thank rare God. in entertainment. That's a very rare thing in Japanese entertainment for there not to be a baby. That's the reason for the marriage. There are two adults that were kind of just like, hey. Maybe this is a good idea. <laughs> the couple started dating um, with the intention of marriage after reuniting to shoot the previously referenced New Year's special. Um and then it's still pretty much fast. <laughs> yeah. So like they started dating like probably like when? Like November, December last year? Yeah. That's only been what, like eight months? People move but quickly. I think the thing I think the thing is though is that when you're older, because Gen, how old is Gen now? Forty? I think so. I think Gen is forty, because I know that he is um I know that Gen's in Aquarius. I know that. So I know his birthday was in January. Um, A lot of my favorite people are Aquariuses. What can I say? Hashino Gen, yeah, he's 40. And then his wife, Yui, is 33? Yeah, she just turned 33 a couple of days ago. So the thing is, though, is I think that, like, when you're 40 and 33... It's kind of like, I already know what I want. Let's not beat around the bush. Yeah, We're that's true. Together. That and is plus, very like, true. Yeah, and plus, like, Yui said she was tired of, like, playing the field and trial and error. And then um, Gens dated a few people before. Most famous, most famously, Aiko. <laughs> Um, I he remember a couple theories like floating around that like he had thrown away Aiko. <laughs> I remember someone posted on open post a couple of a couple of years ago. I think it was maybe years or months. They were just like, remember 
it was actually when Hoshino Gen, like, I think it was when Koi came out, and Koi was, like, revealed to be like, one, the biggest song of the year two years in a row. And they were like, remember when Gen and Aiko were dating, and they had to blur, they had to put a bar over Gen's eyes because they mistakenly didn't know he was a celebrity? <laughs> they I were just didn't like, know that. <laughs> they were just like, Aiko is dating this non-celebrity man, and it was Gen, and it put a black bar over his eyes to protect his identity. But the thing is, though, is that Gen was actually like a already a celebrity, but he wasn't that big. Oh, jeez. Because this was like probably like mm, ten years ago. Was but it? um when we're getting Ico dating. No, I'm gonna I look have, that like, up. No idea. The only reason why I even knew about the entire Ico thing was that um I didn't see this in Japan, but apparently on the Taiwanese like Twitter world, people were actually really mad about the announcement. Not because they had a crush on either Gen or Gaki, but because they were still mad. That he ditched Aiko. So, yeah, it was 10 years ago. Because I just found, like, an article um, talking about, um, from 2011, talking about wow. them dating. Talking about they were still together. Like, are they still together? And I love how they refer to him as Sake Rock's Hoshino Gen. So he wasn't even... Was he even? I don't even think he even had solo material at that point. I think he was just an actor by that point. He was in Sake Rock too, which is like an instrumental band. He played the, he played the um, marimba in the band. It was an instrumental band on Cuba Rhythm, great label. Saro came out of that too. Um, but yeah, oh, 2010. 2010 was his first solo album. And then his second um, first solo album was 2010, Baka no Uta. And then Episode came out in 2011. And Episode actually has one of my favorite um, Hoshino Gen songs, which is um, Yuge. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do like the Episode album. But yeah, basically, like the tabloid was just like, Yui's dating this non celebrity man. And it was like, Hoshino and now, like, 10 years later, how the ties have changed. <laughs> I mean, Aiko's still, like, doing her thing. She's still... She's still... I mean, she's she a legend. what she is. Yeah. She's basically, like, like, a less problematic Shino Ringo. Oh, my God. Just with the... I mean, it's that, it's that like, gay categorization post is to be believed. Like, oh my God. more emotionally disturbed fan base, of which I am one. <laughs> of which Tim is one, because friend of the show, Tim, when we were talking about the female soloists, we had a big um, discussion on Aiko as, like, one of the ones from back in the day that are still successful. And, like, he was just like, love Aiko. He, like, whispered it. And then, like, a couple of days later, he translated the post of that um, was on Japanese gay Twitter about what kind of <laughs> music you like determines your personality. And they were like, Aiko fans are mentally unstable bottoms. And like, Is that wrong? <laughs> and I was just like, wait a minute. The other day, Tim was, like, whispering, love Aiko, out of, like, nowhere when I mentioned her name. So, um, something. <laughs> no bottom shaming here, though. 
No bottom it's Pride shaming. Month. It's Pride That's Month. That's true. That is true. Um, so going back to Gen and Yui. So basically, um, when they first started, when they first started like getting the drama ready, when they, first, when they were shooting the drama back in 2016, um, nobody around them thought they would get married because according to someone that was on set, they weren't particularly intimate during shooting. Gen was often a bit worried about Yui, but she didn't feel like dealing with him so much. So he would return to his quarters as soon as he was done shooting. So Gin was like a little puppy, like wanting to look after her. And she was just like, go away. I'm good. And then like a year after that, something shifted. Gin moved into the same um, condominium building where Yui lived. And done, done, done. Um, yeah. So um, basically that started the rumor that they were dating. As according to their manage, according to management, um, it was not said that they were, it was said that they were not, according to management, I said at the time they hadn't started dating, but eventually they would start dating. Um, Gin's presence in Yui's life grew once he moved into her building. According to someone else in the entertainment industry, Yui is a very delicate type. She's naive, and even a single word could make her annoyed or depressed. Gin writes lyrics, so he knows the importance of words. His sensitivity to this may have hit Yui's heart. So in her marriage statement, she said she was leaving Les Pros. It's probably like pronounced like French, like Le Pro, but I'm just like Les Pros, like I don't speak French. Um, it's kind of like the whole Amer Emmy thing. Emma? Yeah, her name's Emma, but I call her Amer because I had no idea. I um, mean, I used to call her like Amer too, but apparently it's pronounced Emma. I realize now because whenever I see her name, I see the katakana after. Yeah. And it's Emme. like, this is Emma. So basically, she, um, Yui has not left Les Pros. She has simply signed a new type of contract with them and they will continue to work with her. So um, she's appeared in many commercials recently, and she will star in the NHK Taiga drama, Kamakura Dono no... Um, I just forgot the number. Um, Jusanin. Ju Ju I was like, oh my God, 13. I just forgot what 13 is. Jusanin. Um, next year. So um, this could be her last drama, though, because she may retire in 2023. So she has the Taiga drama on NHK in 2022. And after that, she may be done. Um, according to an entertainment professional, Yui has a strong desire to get married and isn't the type to go out with a man half-heartedly. She also isn't focused on being the top actress in the industry. She's the type that would stay at home if she got married. Changing her management contract may be a way of gradually reducing her workload. It has been said that she will retire after her Taiga drama. So it ended with, um, this is the thing that really confused everybody. There's an announcer, I think for Fuji TV or TBS mm -hmm. named Natsume Miku. Um, and the article ended with like, Natsume Miku recently announced that she will retire after marrying Ariyoshi Hiroiki. Will Gaki choose the same path? And in the comments, everyone was just like, wait a minute, I read Natsume Miku 
as Hatsune Miku. And I was just, and people were just like, a bunch of people were just like, I read Natsume Miku as Hatsune Miku. And I was like, wait, Hatsune Miku got married and she's retiring? Why was that not a story? <laughs> yes, a Vocaloid hologram got married. How very surprising. And someone was like, Hatsune Miku getting married it's the first i've heard of this and someone else was just like damn i didn't even receive a, a virtual invitation <laughs> yeah but everyone was just like hatsune miku got married and she's retiring no it's an announcer named natsumi miku <laughs> um but what do you so is hoshido gonna stalk her that's that's my question is he kind of, I guess he's, I guess he chases people a lot. Like, that's all I really get from this. Is that he was after her and he got her? Yeah, basically. Like, he's a very persistent person. I mean, yeah. Look at how many years he was, like, a celebrity but not really hitting. I mean, like... He had already been with Sake Rock for almost a decade and was in movies and dramas for years. And and I think it was Jose Seven who thought he was a non-celebrity when he was dating Aiko. I'm like, are they wrong? <laughs> I mean, I remember very distinctly um, really liking... Um, I remember distinctly like liking Hoshino Gen before Sun and people being just like, why do you like him? And I'm just like, I don't know. Something about his music just reminds me of like going to the farmer's market. Because it is really earthy and homey. And like, to be quite frank, this dude is ridiculously persistent. He's been in the industry for what, 20 years? Let me, He's how only been famous. He's only been famous for like eight of those 20 okay, years. Okay, so I'm looking now and it says years active on Wikipedia, 2000 to present. Oh my and God. discography, Sun was like, what, 2015? Oh, was it even later than that? I thought he Sun got... Was Sun was 2015. I just remember that he was so small that even on like the less you couldn't find him anywhere. So I'm looking at like find his son anywhere. I'm looking at like his like chart positions now. I do know that he got on music station in 2012. Cause I do remember being just like, Oh, Gen's on music station because he did, um, he did Yumi no Soto E, mm -hmm. which, um, his biggest song before, um, son that went gold digitally. But, like, not talking about, I mean, I'm not trying to be, like, an Oricon physical singles chart person, because, you know, that's not me. But, like, his first, like, his second physical single actually went, like, to number four. It was number five on the Hot 100. So, like, he's had, like, top tens since, like, um... He was much bigger in movies, though. Since than 2012. He was, yeah. Then he was His breakout in was done, though, in 2015. Yeah. Like, he, he was almost like an actor with a music side hobby for the longest time. 
because for a lot of the time, his main focus was sake rock. And sake rock was a um, instrumental band in which he played the marimba. So, I mean, um, okay, okay, let's be honest. His main focus wasn't even sake rock. It was his acting. I would say it was probably like, at first, probably. It was probably, like, it was the acting at first it was, that paid At first it was sake rock. Because sake rock was the first thing. Okay, but it was the acting that paid the bills. Yeah. Right, like the guy, the guy literally had no hits to his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he started in two thousand with sake rock, um, where he played the marimba and the guitar, and then his first um, movie was 69 which came out in 2004 good for him clap clap yeah. i mean for the guy is just after a decade at 15 years basically yeah the dude is persistent after 15 years yeah after 15 years in industry he didn't give up there's a lot about now, him, I guess. He also got his wife. So, so do you think that she's really going to retire? I mean, honestly, honestly speaking, I absolutely think she is going to retire. She strikes me as a type of person, especially on someone's like marriage announcement. When you mention that you have been working nonstop since you were a teenager, that's usually a sign that someone's going to retire. Like, you don't mention that unless you're going to withdraw from the industry. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I remember on Twitter someone talking about how she had a fan that, like, wrote um, a poem or something every day or every oh, week yeah. for her for years. <laughs> and then once she announced she was getting married, he stopped. He, he said, was like, like this- I'm taking, I'm taking a hiatus. <laughs> I know this exact post. He was just like, this is shutting down. <laughs> it wasn't even shutting down. It's, um, I'm taking a break. Like literally so many people were just like, I can't believe it. Gaki is getting married. But it also strikes me that like, she's never actually been in any sort of dating rumors. Despite the fact that she's so big and she's literally like, everyone's ideal girl next door girlfriend since like Achan, right? He's basically never been in dating rumors. So yeah, she really has had like zero scandals. Like she reminds me of Mayan a little bit, Shiraishi Mai, where I feel like she must have had her guard up for all this time in order to stay out of like the gossip rags, which by the way, um, in order to tell you how mentally straining that is, that people think is one of the main reasons why Watanabe Mayu just basically retired after she graduated. You know what else this is a theory about, which I don't mean to bring up, but like you saying that reminded me of, we're actually nearing the anniversary of. Which one? Oh, Chimura Hana. No, Miura Haruma. Ah, uh, yeah, for sure. 
about I mean, how he was like so scandal free. Yeah. They basically never had a break. And like I think one of the things that consistently come up, and this is why I really dislike Nagao Mario, is that they couldn't even trust their friends. These are people who literally could not trust their friends. Because um, the rumor in AKB is that Nagao Maria didn't actually want to uh, graduate, but she was forced to because she was the main reason why Bunshin had all those AKB scandals back in the day because she was the one selling all the information to them. And so, like, that just goes to tell you, you can't even trust your friends, you can't trust your family, right? All these people are going to sell you out, so, like, you can't let your guard down. <laughs> so, switching gears, we're going to go into um, the recording industry, the recording <laughs> industry association of Association of Japan. I can't speak. Ah, um, they released their annual report, and it is worse than the RAJ, than, um, no, the IFPI report. Because the IFPI, the International Federation of um, Phonographic Industries, which is the global organization, they said a couple of months ago that Japan's industry declined by 2.1% in 2020, which I thought was bullshit. I'm like, 2.1%? COVID, COVID took things down by 2.1%? I don't believe that at all. And then the RAJ came out and said it was really 9%. And I was just like, I don't believe that, but it's more realistic than 2.1%. So yes, according to the RIAJ, the Japanese industry fell um, 9% in 2020 to a total of 272.7 billion yen. It's the second year of decline. Um, just to give you a couple of stats real quick, the physical market saw a 19, saw a 15% decrease in revenue, a 19% decrease in volume. The digital market, on the other hand, which is composed of downloads and streaming, increased by 11%. Oh, I should have said this too. Physical CDs made up 194.4 billion yen while digital made up 78.3. So digital is about a third of the size of physical. But physical had a 15% decrease in revenue, a 19% decrease in the number of units produced. Meanwhile, digital had 11% increase. It's the seventh year of growth and the third year of double-digit growth. Which, like, given everything, makes sense, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So, yeah, as far as just, like, physical CDs themselves, like actual music CDs, those fell 21% in volume and 15% in revenue. Um, CD singles declined by 25% um, in production and 15% in revenue. Because that's the big thing that everyone looks at for physical is like the physical CDs and like those, that's a very big decrease, 25% decline in one year in physical CDs, CD singles, I mean. 
It's um, unsurprising. It's not surprising, but it's still just like a big drop. I mean, like there was no AKB election single last year. Like there really, wasn't the year before that either. But the thing is, though, is that like, because um, let's be real, the big seg- the big sellers of CD singles are idols, and the Johnny's singles were pretty fine. It was mainly just like the the female single idols. Female idol singles, oh my god, that were like the ones that decrease. But I would actually add in. So the other thing that usually props things up, and you don't really see it on Oricon because it's usually just like five thousand people who are buying like millions of copies, right? Is the that not just the events, but usually there's K-pop stars who come to Japan, and they'll be selling for like event tickets, right? Oh, in order yeah. to do, like, high touches and stuff. And last year, due to the pandemic, they couldn't come at all because there was literally a travel ban between the two countries. So, like, you didn't have any Twice singles, you didn't have any BTS singles, didn't have any Seventeen stuff, right? Hmm. And that would have made up for the lack of female idols doing well. Because usually, like, when female idols decline... You have K-pop idols picking up the slap, but nobody could do anything because there's a travel ban and Nidu has yet to release a physical single until this year anyways. Mm. So, In terms of albums, there was a 20% decrease and a 15% in volume, I mean, and a 15% decrease in revenue. Um, One interesting thing I found, though, was that in 2019, no, sorry, in 2020, the makeup... Um, no, no, sorry. In 2020, domestic music made up 91% of revenue, with mm-hmm. 9% being international. And that international part is probably mostly Korean. So I think about that AEG thing that came out a couple months ago, how like they're going to try to make Western music and American music popular in Japan. <laughs> and I'm just like... You guys probably make up 2% of the market, if that. And you guys really think you're going to be able to, like, become household names? 2% is um, aggressive. <laughs> yeah, because 91% is Japanese. 9% is international. International means everything not Japanese. Yeah, and uh, that's probably... that. Let's be honest, like that 9% is probably 95% Korean music. Yeah, definitely. So as far as like the breakdown, the market, um, oh, sorry, I read the wrong stat. Um, Sorry. In terms of total revenue, the Japanese market is 71.3% physical and 28.7% digital. So it's like a 70-30 split. So one thing I talked about last year, Hannah, was that... Um, remember when I said last year in looking at this report that like there is people were talking about how like J-pop doesn't feel as good as it used to? And like I said looking at this, I was like, maybe it's the fact that there are less releases. Yeah. So I actually, (laughs) 
I actually reevaluated that thought. Wait, really? Yeah. Because the thing is, though, is I think I, I think I may have spread misinformation. Um, so the thing is, though, is I think what this number really is, is the number of CDs. Like the physical, oh. it's, um, there were 8,646 newly released and physical recordings last year. This is the seventh year of decline, with the last year of increase being 2013's 17,013. I could see that because a lot of the acts that I now follow, I mean, granted, granted, a lot of the stuff that I follow now is an Annie song. Like, they rarely, if ever, do physical releases. So if you're only looking at physical releases, it's going to seem like they just basically have no presence. Mm-hmm. So basically, the number of physical releases peaked in 2013 and the number of physical releases currently in 2020 last year is the lowest it's been since 1965. So last year I said there's less Japanese music, but in reality there's less Japanese music being released on CD. Yeah. Cause there was a clarification in this year's report. Really? Yeah. Oh, but speaking of a clarification I was in last year's report, which you didn't like, um, pop kayokoku is the biggest genre domestically, 67.1% of the market. It's followed by Inca, 13.5. Anime, 7.8. Screen music, 3.9. Kids, 1.9. Light music, 1.8. Classical, 1.2. Traditional, 0.6. Then miscellaneous is 2.2. They classify th things just based on how you sell it. This is a marketer's report. Yes. And then for international music, rock, pop, dance was number one with 37.3%, followed by classical with 30.9%, um, additional genre 13.9%, jazz fusion 11.7%, screen 5.6%, and miscellaneous 0.6%. I still find it so funny that they refuse absolutely to separate out the countries of origin. <laughs> this is a number that always makes me laugh. There were 427 debuts last year, made up of 364 first debuts and 63 second debuts. Um, and that makes sense. I'm trying to think of people who debuted in 2020. Snowman, Stones, Niji U, um, JL1. Mm -hmm. um, I guess Sakurazaka will be a second debut. Yeah. No, I actually think that would count as a first one because I think what they mean by second are the people who are redebuting on major. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My favorite group, Den Nobu, was last year. D4DJ was last year. Everything from Argo Novice was technically last year. So almost everything is like an idol group. Hmm. I'm trying to think of an artist that... Uh, no, because Fujikaze came at the very end of 2019, technically. I think we can give him, like, 2020 credit, kind of. Actually, you know what? I think they would give him 2020 credits. I think he... 
I think the He's support after November, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you actually have a point there. Yeah. So he will be counted as uh as a twenty first debut. Yeah. First yeah. debut. And then the other the thing the thing that people still I still see people talking about this, about why their faves are flopping. There were 1,727 record rental shops in 2020. This is the same number that existed in the early 80s. Record rental shops have been in decline since their peak in 1989 at 6,213. I mean, does this surprise anyone? <laughs> the, the revenue lost by the decline of record rental shops has been gradually replaced by revenue from broadcasting. So basically, everyone knows that Japan has a very big tie-in culture. And they see fully monetizing that tie-in culture as a way of also increasing the market. Like, honestly, honestly, so I've I've obviously like defected from 3D idols to to 2D idols, right? But like, Let's be frank, the only reason why there are so many Annie song idols, and like literally it's to the point where um where girls channel is complaining about the number of Seiyu on television. The reason why there are so many Seiyu this year, and it was actually really funny when they were like, Oh, this is the highest number of Seiyu ever. People were like, What the hell are they all doing? And everybody else was like, All those video games you play on your stupid phone. I can't wait to see what the smartphone penetration actually is for Japan because I think we're back in the in the heyday of 2011. As far as what? As far as like everybody is going to be listening on digital. They're all going to be on streaming, like all on Apple Music, right? It's going to be like 2011 or 2001 all over again with digital being like the number one precursor of everything. We are now going to go into one of our most popular monthly segments, which is Hannah. The Johnny's Corner. So this month in the Johnny's Corner, there is a lot to cover. The biggest oh, news baby. being <laughs> the biggest thing being something that actually happened on June 1st, but it's so big we're going to include it for May. That would be the opening of the Johnny and Associates official English language Twitter account. So on June 1st, they posted a tweet saying, hello world, and they showed concert clips of their various groups. It was a lot of Arashi, but um, I don't know why, because Arashi's broken up, but um, they are basically trying to embrace um, western fans which is like kind of amazing but also like really delayed yeah i mean like they did do the youtube accounts but you can like say the youtube accounts were targeted towards japanese fans because it's just like japanese people do use youtube but like the fact that there's actually an english language account on twitter is something that is for us so one funny thing, one funny reaction that a lot of Johnny's fans had to this was that they went and they blocked the <laughs> Twitter account <laughs> because they were, they were afraid that um, 
because Johnny's has been like cracking down for years, decades at this point, um, against international fans who are seen as like pirating material. So um, I remember like GIF sets on Tumblr being like, I remember Tumblr accounts being shut down because they were making GIF sets of concert videos or music videos. I remember like live journals being like hunted down because they were sharing like CD, like they were sharing like like um, MP3s of CDs and like sub shows. And now people on Twitter are just like, we still have all those things going on. So we need to block the official Johnny's account because now they're here to hunt us down again. And we're not going to let this happen. So a lot of Johnny's fans have gone and blocked the official account. Which is a bit sad. It's a bit... Um, I feel for him. I feel for him, but at the same time, like, you reap what you sow, right? They've yeah. been... So, um, one of the things to realize is that the Korean music industry was essentially forced to modernize. It's not like they had an option. Mm-hmm. But that entire, like, evolve with the system, don't fight it is considered like a success story. And it's really sad that Japan has been fighting it so long because they were really the first to jump on the digital game. That's why, like, digital singles have not dropped below two bucks a pop because of it. So for those who don't know, in the beginning of the 2000s, um, Korea had a massive piracy issue, and it caused their industry to drop by, like, their revenue to drop like like ninety percent. Yeah. So, and so that's like in the why late... you have streaming. That's why you have yeah. melon. That's why you have cone. That's where all this comes from. Yeah. In the late nineties, very early two thousands, it wasn't uncommon for a Korean album to sell a million copies. And then, like, Korea has some of the fastest internet in the world, so people were just like, "Why would I buy it when I can just like download it illegally for free?" Yeah, And that caused their market to crash, essentially. They lost, like, 90% of their revenue or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the industry was basically just, like, let's they not fight it. <laughs> yeah. So the two things they did was just, like, if people want it digitally, we'll make it available digitally. And we still want people to buy physical CDs. So let's just go and give you more of an incentive to buy the physical CD, which is where the photo books and photo cards and all that stuff comes from. But also, like, Japan did the same exact thing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they had their Galapagos wounds, and they were like, their functionality is pretty good, and we're seeing what's happening in Korea, so, like, let's not fight it. Let's actually provide everything digitally, and that's why, even today... Like, they managed to maintain their CD prices on digital. So when we say that the digital market is growing double digits, it's actually very impressive. Because a lot of that um, price per song is actually maintained digitally, unlike the United States or South Korea, where they actually had to drop prices like crazy. The big thing that people... I just remember there being this big, like, fight back in the day between, like, Big Bang fans and IU fans, <laughs> um, because because basically like um, the big thing that K-pop fans would do like ten years ago is that they would go and use like Korean digital singles 
as like a way of like saying that they have surpassed Japanese acts to be the biggest in Asia. And it's just like a Japanese digital single is like $3, a Japanese no, $2, physical $2. $2. Well, this is like 10 years ago. So it's probably like more like three. No, they've never changed their prices. I think. Well, they cha- never changed the yen price. I know it's 250 yen. Yeah. But like the fluctuation of the market, the currency rate. The currency rate between Japan and Korea has basically remained unchanged. Like Korea's been at one point five. More like Japan and the U.S. though. Yeah. So Korea has been like one point five k one to the dollar, to one point three k one to the dollar for like the good ten years. Same with Japan. It's been like one point one, a hundred and ten yen. Ish. Hannah's in, Hannah, for those who do not know, Hannah works in finance. So this is like her like moment to shine. Well, it's also just like I used to do this thing where I would like basically just like calculate how far my allowance went in Korea, where I'd mm-hmm. be like, you can either give me 10 bucks now, you can give me like the equivalent of 20 bucks in South Korea. So just give it to me in South Korea. But the thing is, though, is that we were basically just like, a Japanese digital single is like $2. A Japanese physical yeah. CD is like 10 to 15. A Japanese physical album, depending on what edition you're getting, can range from 30 to $100. Yeah. From 30 to 100. Meanwhile, the Big Bang fans over here talking about they sold um, 3 million copies of a 5 cent digital single. And we're just like, yeah. is that impressive? I mean, it's so impressive, but it's it's not it's not Arashi levels of impressive, which is why, like, when you're talking about the big big acts, they always talk about like total yen contribution to the economy, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that is what really drives everything. And in fact, it's actually really funny that you bring up the Big Bang thing right now because I feel like. Part of the reason that Johnny's is doing this is definitely because of, is because of like Corona, but also the other part of it is just the fact that like very very realistically speaking, BTS is bigger. Than oh all my the god, has. she, Hannah has basically hijacked the sacred space that is um, Johnny's corner with BTS. I mean, am I wrong? They're literally reaching out internationally because their domestic fan base is gone. I wouldn't say that. They're domestic. With the way that, like, they're dying domestically. They're losing to male Seiyu. They're losing. Um, I wouldn't say that because the thing is, though, is that the biggest debut single of all time is now a Johnny single as of last year. Yeah, good for them. But they're also losing on all other fronts. Uh, declining, yes. Losing, no. They're declining, which is the first for them. Like, I'm going on to the ranking, the karaoke ranking charts, and the Oh, top... please. I'm not going to trust that. What is number one? Hitoto Yo still with no, something from years Dry ago? No, it's Dryflower, Usewa, and then the third one is a Neko song. Neko? Yeah, Neko. This is Neko, yeah. Like, look, they're losing on all fronts. I don't expect them to be doing well on on karaoke. 
This is the lead part they've always dominated in. I don't think so. Like, literally, they're losing everywhere. That's why they're going international, because they're losing. I wouldn't say they're losing when they're two, when two of their newest groups have some of the best numbers that they've had in ages. Because they're losing. How are they losing if they're actually, like, growing they the numbers? Have, they don't have dramas anymore. Like, when's the last time a Johnny's Act headlined a drama? Um, actually, um, Daiki from, um, from Hey Say Jump has a current drama out now, which was the theme song was, um, Negative Fighter. Huh? When? Midnight Slot? She's I don't not know what time like 7 p.m., right? Oh, so she now, so dominate. now we're doing qualifications on, first it was like, when was the last time Johnny led a drama? And now it's just yeah. like, when was the last time they led a drama during prime time? Yeah, one drama when they used to do like 15 every season. That's a big drop. That is a loss. This is why they're re this is why they're trying again. Like this is why Snowman sounds so good because they have to try. They're yes, no I longer talking that, everything. The thing, They've lost have, all their variety shows. Like Johnny's I, is literally a dying act. This I just watched Kanjam yesterday with with Tokyo Gian on it. This is AKB back in like 2016. They are dying. That's why they have to try. That's why they're reaching out to the international fan base because their domestic numbers are just drying up. And even though they're trying to fight back, it's going to take a time. It's going to take a long time. Right? This is actually worse for them than when like Da Pump and LDH started. This is way worse than then. I don't think so. That's kind of hard to believe. All of their old acts have basically disappeared. You don't have Smap. You don't have Arashi. You don't have, like, V6 is gone, right? The thing is, though, is that all those groups, minus Arashi, are actually selling less than King and Prince and Snowman. They may sell less, but they also were consistent in making sure they had the variety slots. And making sure that they had the drama slots and making sure that they had commercials. So is this a discussion about music or is this a discussion about other stuff? Because I only pay attention to the music. Yeah, that's why you're not an idol fan. And Johnny's is an idol agency. The thing is, though, is that BTS doesn't have any of that stuff either. So you're comparing BTS them. BTS is literally... Like, BTS is only one of many points. My many point is Johnny's is a dying act. Right. And they're just I trying think to fight it's having a resurgence. I'll believe there's a resurgence when they have more than a single drama in a given season. I'll believe there's well, a resurgence when they get more than a single stupid variety show during prime time. There are multiple. I just said during prime time. All of those multiple are literally during the midnight slot when no one watches. Eh, people watch. Because some of them are music related and music shows are generally after midnight. They all got relegated after midnight for a reason. What, the music shows? Yes. Like, they got relegated to past midnight for a reason. 
actually not all of them are past midnight because there are some that are like earlier but going back to like oh my god you've just like gone and completely derailed this talking about I mean, BTS. It's still the johnny's corner because i'm talking about how johnny's is dying dying yet getting musically better so yes they're getting they are trying- musically better because they're dying because they need to fight back so going on to something else one of my favorite songs of the year actually many of my favorite songs this year have been johnny songs um so one that was released uh, actually i'll talk about two in this segment one that was released was king and prince's magic touch so in conjunction with this release they also started their own social media and youtube accounts congratulations welcome to 2001 2008. YouTube wasn't even out in 2001. Neither was Twitter or Instagram. Congratulations. Welcome to the past decade. Yes, I welcome advancement. I'm not a hater. I'm not a hater, but I also admit reality. I'm admitting reality too. Yes, it should have happened a while ago, but the fact that it's actually all happening now, I like the progress and how quickly it's picking up. So... I called, I called King and Prince's Magic Touch the most controversial J-pop song in years because there has been so much debate about this song. There are people like myself who are just like, oh, I welcome this change. It's fun. It's fresh. It sounds modern. Then there are the other ones who are just like, oh my God, why are they doing this? Why are they going and doing songs like this? Can't they just keep doing songs like Cinderella Girl? Oh God. I actually really do like Cinderella Girl. I also Um, like Cinderella Girl, but uh, they should not continue to do that. (laughs) I sent Magic Touch to a friend of mine who listens to J-pop. And he was just like, is this a Johnny's group? And I was like, yes, it's a Johnny's group. At first he thought it was an LDH group. And I said, no, then he thought it was a Johnny's group. And he was like, since when do Johnny's do this? Like, why aren't they wearing like feathers? I mean, I agree with your friend. It sounds as shitty as an LDH release. So basically he was just like, he's like, I like this change, but it seems a bit drastic for Johnny's because I also then showed him Cinderella Girl, which was like three years ago. And he was like, this change seems rather drastic so quickly. You didn't show him. Okay, so last year, for those of you who don't know, um, 2020, Ronald picked a very excellent song called Maji Night, which would have been my preferred choice. Maisie Night? Maisie Night, Maji Night, whatever. It's like, amazing night. Like that one would have been my choice for what to go onto YouTube with. Not this shitty LDH secondhand stuff. Oh my God. Shut up, Hannah. You're such a hater. What'd you say? You kind of like got vocaloid there. This song sucks. It's so slow. The music mixing was bad. Like when they had the Twitter announcement, 
I remember the one person that I really rely on for like production analysis was just like, I really hope Johnny stops half-assing everything because on the world stage, they're going to be judged against world production techniques and they really suck. And I was like, I can't even say anything against this. Well, I don't think the song was actually made by a Japanese person, so it is on like world production. No, he was level. talking about like all the post-production stuff. So one of the things that Johnny's very frequently does is if you work on one part of it, you work in a silo. It's very, very factory. There's no such thing as teamwork, right? And yeah, like this I know. has been reiterated by everybody who has ever worked or had the displeasure of working with Johnny's. I interview. I remember interviewing Taku Takahashi and asked him about working with Heisei Jump, and he was like, "I never met them." Yeah, exactly. And like that doesn't happen with anyone else, right? Like no other, no other musical act has the audacity to do that because generally things come up during recording that necessitate having to bring in the people who are working on other parts of the production. And Johnny's just does not do that. And it it shows. It shows. It really shows. So, like, it is a miracle when we get songs that are as decent as Mozzie Night, but it is not common. <laughs> and this is one of those not common, like, half-assed production techniques. So yeah, they just need to change everything they do with regards to music. <laughs> I feel like they already are doing everything because the thing is, though, is that like last year they're I was just like, they're definitely changing how they're buying. I'll I'll definitely get them that right. Like they're really exploring. They're definitely trying to modernize everything. But what I mean by changing is the actual like post purchasing of the composition everything about the recording process has to change and i don't know if you want them to be more that. interactive basically rather than just like recording their vocals and then saying like here do your work with this yeah exactly and there needs to be a lot more engagement not just with the recording of the vocals but like yes japanese recording techniques have been good until now but like you know, modern listeners are very different, right? There's a reason why K-pop sounds so loud. It's because the loudness wars are a very, very real thing everywhere but Japan. You sound like dead grandma talking about Sheena Ringo. I mean, it's kind of true. And, like, that is the point. That, like, you know, the rest of the world does engage with music very differently. Like... Just this month, Kaon, the major chart in Korea, is now adding that TikTok chart, right? And it's very likely that we're going to do the same thing in places like Billboard. So they just need to engage with... It's not really engaging with the times, but if they do want to compete internationally, these are just considerations they have to take but into. But a TikTok chart is like stupid because people aren't even really listening to a song on a TikTok chart. I mean, that's what I was thinking too, and I was just they're like, they're simply I don't just like understand. dancing along to it. I mean, like but the then thing again, is, like Twitter is part of the Billboard calculation. But Twitter actually shows fan engagement. 
Like you can be I a guess fan. that's the same thing with TikTok. No, no, because the thing is though, is that like you cannot be a fan of somebody and just want to do a challenge just because like you want to do it. it. Doesn't necessarily mean that you like are engaged as a fan or as a listener. You're just doing a challenge because you think it'll be good on social media to do, not because you actually like the song. I mean, those are my thoughts exactly, but apparently someone somewhere out there thought this was a good idea. So basically, um, what I was going to say earlier was that this is the most controversial song in J-pop in a while because you have the people that want them to be modern against people that like want them to stick with like their older sounding songs. And... I was on Twitter and someone said they didn't like the song and like, basically they got like dog piled on and they got accused of being anti-black because they didn't like King and Prince's magic touch. Oh geez. And I asked, I asked you about that and you actually had an explanation. I mean, okay. Yes. If, you are consistently against this particular type of music. Perhaps there is some engagement that needs to be done around the fact that, like, K-pop is hip-hop derivative. Everyone admits this, right? And Magic Touch is also very hip-hop derivative. Like I said, it's an LDH cast-off. Um... A lot of J-pop fans, because of the extreme counteraction against K-pop, tend to have a hatred of all things that are rap and hip-hop derivative. And at least if you are from the West, that is because those two particular genres tend to be coded as extremely Black. Right? This is why... Grammys have an urban category. Like, people don't like Latin music for whatever reason, right? It's not just... Don't like what music? They don't like Latin music. They don't like urban music. It's because in the United States, there are racial overtones to our genres. And this is very important. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, if somebody just said, hey, like, I don't like this one song... I think it might be a little bit of an overreaction, but you'd have to really parse it out to tell which one is which, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just like, how is not liking a King and Prince song anti-Black? They're not Black, and it's just like, and you were like, oh, it's because it's a hip-hop song. And yeah. A lot of idol fans don't like hip-hop because it reminds them of K-pop. One of idol fans do not like hip-hop. And K-pop is definitely part of it, but another part of it is because of how urban music is racially So do you think a lot of idol fans are racist? Yes. Why do you think a lot of idol fans are racist? So, um, two, two big reasons. With the exception of AKB, and this is why AKB tends to be a lot more controversial, you'll notice that the costumes and idol music tend to be a lot more conservative, right? It It's a lot more conservative and it's a lot less form-fitting. 
And that's just by design, right? Because they're all Showa derivative, Showa derivative, like go figure. Um, I also think there is an extreme reaction to disliking everything culturally American. And a lot of the modern culturally American products tend to be appropriated black culture. Right. You know what that reminds me of actually, there's been something I've been seeing on Twitter the past couple of days with like Jay Park, who got a bunch of other Korean rappers together and they made a song about how they're proud to be Korean, but yet they are basically dressed like rappers. Like they have like cornrows and dreadlocks and afros. And it's like about like a dozen Korean rappers and people are just like, if you're so proud to be Korean, why are you dressing like American black rappers? Why aren't you wearing like hanbok? I am... This is going to get me canceled. Um, The problem with appropriation on an international stage... So when I mentioned appropriation before, I meant American culture, like U.S. American culture appropriating Black culture. And there is an element of power, imperialism and colonialism that has to come into factor if you're talking about appropriation. And when you're talking about it on an international stage, you cannot talk about Korea and Japan appropriating something without a frank discussion of American neocolonialism. And that is why they are wearing cornrows. But on the flip side, but on the flip side, a lot of black people will say, okay, those are those white people that went and were fighting wars in your countries. Leave our black shit alone. Go copy well, those white people that copied that like went and were invading your is country. American culture to the remainder of the world. It is that appropriated Black culture that we are literally exporting to colonize other people's cultures. You can be like, leave that stuff alone, but you can't because that is literally the weaponry that we're using. But the thing is, though, is that on the flip side, I think that American music at this point is the least popular it's been internationally, like in forever, which the Japanese um, thing just showed us. So the thing is, though, is that argue against the fact I that think it does American cultural American cultural imperialism doesn't happen overnight. But the thing Japanese is Japanese music is that... was literally a result of American cultural imperialism that they literally use Elvis Presley for Elvis Presley literally the king appropriator himself right he appropriated black music and that is what we use to colonize all of Japan's music culture. The thing is, though, is that you can the be stuff like, that, oh, the like stuff that Jay Park. Black music isn't popular, right? Like that doesn't negate the fact that the reason why we consider the modern music of today modern is literally because it takes after American production techniques. And where does that come from? What the dominant cultural forces of the United States have literally taken from Black culture. The point I was making was that that stuff that like Jay Park, whatever is doing, 
that's not stuff that you are just naturally going to see just America exporting. That's stuff you're actually seeking out. That's the point I'm trying to make. There's a difference between like it being exported. Like the thing is though, is that I would say when like- do you think Korean rap was birthed into existence? The 90s. Yes. And what did rap in the 90s look like? So the thing is, though, is that someone like an MC Hammer, for example, that was something that was seen as like family friendly, something that was worthy of export. Meanwhile, like what is worthy and not worthy of export is not for us to decide. What I'm saying is that this these things are not being exported. They're being sought out. And that's the difference. That is definitely false. Because what is being exported is what is being played over military radio in the in like the military bases overseas. And you have no idea what gets played on those radios by these military forces, which by the way, tend to come from lower and lower middle class families almost entirely. You and I do not know the composition of what they're playing. There's no way for us to know. We don't talk to those people. Oh my God, you made us just sound like, like, oh my God, we're coastal elites. We are coastal elites. But the other thing, though, is that, like, Jay Park is also American. Jay Park may be American, and that's why I'm calling him a clown. But I also hate this discourse because no matter what happens, like, there is always that X factor that always gets left out which is why it grates on my nerves. And I just refuse to partake in it. Because the thing is, though, is that, like, I I personally am just, like, okay with this. Because, like, the thing is, though, is that, like, everyone remembers, not everyone, but, like, some people may remember my interview with JP the Wavy last year, who is, like, has a similar stance. And the thing is, though, is that with him, I took it as, like, a localization. Like, the thing is, though, is that he sought that out and he wanted to localize it. Like, he was just like, I went on the internet looking for the stuff. Like, he's not naturally going to, like, come across seeing that in Japan on NHK. No, he said he was, like, on the internet. And that's Why where he got... Think... Okay, so, like, when people are talking about cultural imperialism, it's not just in terms of whatever the market is forcing on you. Right? It is in terms of what do we code as modern, as desirable? Why is it considered desirable? Like all these factors. Well, I don't know if it's really, I don't really know if it's seen as like desirable though, because the thing is is though is considered desirable. There's a reason why. Okay. This is going to sound, this is going to sound, now I'm really going to sound like a coastal elite, but the thing is though, is like a lot of those things are only desirable to certain demographics not to ronald like the demographics and the cultural forces that are at play in say the new york metro area are not going to be internationally at play 
And it is specifically not going to be at play for somebody who is growing up or working in Seoul or growing up and working in the suburbs of Japan, right? They are going to see American stuff as cool, as desirable. That is the main difference between like K-pop and J-pop, right? In terms of idols, at least. Like, why do we consider alt idols cooler than regular idols? Like, to use the term unironically. It's because the alt idols sound and look like punk rock. Like American punk rock. Do people really think of punk as, like, an American thing? America likes to consider those things as their own. And to I think of it more person, as, like, a British thing. Yeah, because, you're a coastal elite that can tell because the, the thing, difference. Because the thing is, though, is that the thing is, though, is that when I think of like Japanese music, I've always thought more of British music rather than, and I it think of Amer, I think of Korea as American music. It doesn't fucking matter because at the end of the day, to a Japanese person, it's all like white people business, right? Mm-hmm. Like to the rest of the world, who the fuck cares where it originally came from? They only know Green Day and like My Chemical Romance or whatever. People don't listen to My Chemical Romance there. Whatever the hell they imported it as. But it's going to be imported as an American band. At the end of the day, that is what counts. What gets filtered through the lens of the United States is what's considered I don't think desirable. it's the United States because I think about like, I think of people like Noel Gallagher headlining Fuji Rock. Like, Why I think is it's he like, headlining Fuji Rock because he's Pitchfork approved. Um, no, he's definitely pre-Pitchfork. I think of like the UK as like I'm talking the about home. that cultural elite, and that cultural elite is almost entirely found in Los Angeles and New York City. No, I think that I think the thing is though is that they look more towards the UK because oh my God, speaking of which, when Sheena Ringo went before she debuted, where did she go spend time? London. And why do you think the UK has that status now? The UK's had that status for like ages. Like the Beatles. Not had the biggest Western act in Japan is probably the Beatles, and they're British. Why do you think they imported the Beatles? It's not because of America. It's literally how it was exported. Like, I don't think of it is, as that at all. Well, you got to follow the money, and the money flows through the United States. I don't think it flows through the United States, because the thing is, though, is that when I, like, sit here, and I, I remember, like, reading a bit, I remember reading an article, speaking of which, about Amino Parade, and the biggest thing they said was just, like, oh, the Japanese version of the XX. Like, the, I think there are more similarities between, like, British music than there is in the Japanese music, than there is like American music and Japanese music. Because okay, I'm gonna be, comple- I'm gonna be completely honest. Why I'm gonna be completely is- honest right now. Japanese music is very white rooted. Meanwhile, British music is still very white rooted. And Japanese, American music is very black rooted, and Korean music is very black rooted. Like the fact that there are no rock bands left in the U.S. Meanwhile, the U.K. has a ton, 
and Japan has a ton and Korea has none. And like the fact that like Japan actually went and caught onto UK Garage, which like never made any waves in the US. It's just like I just have always seen more similarities between like Japanese music and British music than Japanese music and American music. And why do you think the UK evolved the way it did? Um, like this is actually really important. Why do you musically? Think yes, musically. I don't know. Because that's when the United States was exporting all of our rock music. Oh my I god. Remember. No. Yes. Like this is actually super important. The path of capital is how all this stuff evolves, right? And it's important to recognize that a lot of this appropriation does have a very important source in this discourse but it tends to get like twisted out of shape because people forget that a very important component, just like bringing it all back, a very important fact that we have to discuss when we talk about appropriation is literally capitalistic and geopolitical power forces. The UK didn't just evolve a rock scene out of the blue. It evolved it in the they, shadow of the Marshall didn't. Plan. I know they, well, that was like decades. Marshall well, Plan was decades Well, that's when J-pop and current British music got their roots. Like, that is when we exported all that stuff. And you can't ignore that. The thing is, though, is that, like, you can say that, like, rock did originate in the U.S., yes. But the thing is, though, is that you can't say like years later that like a band like oasis is copying american music i'm not saying they're copying american music i'm saying that when you when you talk about a sensitive topic like cultural appropriation you have to understand how to talk about it properly and like the fact that Geopolitical and capital power is never discussed when we're but talking the thing about this. Is, though, the, thing, the thing is, though, is that the culture that is being appropriated is not that of white people in Korea. It, it, is that of, it does matter to Black people because the thing is, though, is that Black people don't have the things that you say the U.S. has. They are the victims of that, by and large. And then so they do not feel as if they're feeling like they're being victimized again, because it's just like. And you are. And that victimization is literally due to double appropriation because it gets appropriated by mainstream American culture first and then weaponized by mainstream American culture second. So mm-hmm. you can take it out, but you're taking it out on another victim of imperialism. But the thing is, though, is that they're not seen as victims. They're seen as like basically like today people were just like, don't what is Korean about K-pop? Don't Koreans have their own stuff? We don't have our own stuff because what happens in cultural and settler colonialistic imperialism is that the native culture gets wiped out. And that is why 
this conversation is quite frankly very disgusting. What conversation? No, this entire discourse around appropriation tends to disgust me a lot because when no one acknowledges that Korea's culture was erased. Yeah. Like you can't literally on my shelf right now is probably the tome of genocidal history studies, right? And there is by the way, for people who don't know, Hannah loves genocides. History. History. Not 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 actual genocide. So she like Hannah likes some very morbid stuff. Yes. And there is an entire section on cultural settler imperialism. And when people talk about K-pop and appropriation, they completely ignore that. It does not take that long to erase a culture. How long does it take? Go to Xinjiang and tell me how much of Uyghur Muslim culture remains after five years of genocide. How long does it take to build a culture then? Hundreds of years. Does it? Takes a long time. Takes a much shorter time to wipe out any culture, any people. Doesn't take that long to wipe them out. Hmm. I think so, yes, the main... this conversation is disgusting. I hate talking about it. But you know so much about it. Well, yes, appropriation and genocide are very, very linked. I mean, I'm just like talking to you from the point of just like a friend who is just like explaining why people, not me, because I'm personally just like, oh, it's localization. Like my personal stance is just like, oh, they're just localizing content. But I do, and I think that's because I know so much about, I'm not a stranger to these industries. So I know exactly what is happening and exactly what the dynamics are as far as like localization, because I've had to explain to a lot of black people on Twitter before what exactly, I was like, oh, it's localization. They were like, what does that mean? And I was like- I understand that you're explaining it, but I also hate like, I hate the fact that for the average person on Twitter, the idea of American power as a monolith is completely beside them. They don't understand that, like, even for you and me, you as a gay Black person and me as, like, an Asian American woman, right? Like, they don't understand that, you know, compared to the rest of the world, we hold power that they do not. You know what blew my mind today? I was watching a travel video on YouTube and they were talking about something. I think it was like something where it's just like um, the 1%. And they were like, the average American is part of the 1% of the global population. Because if you make more than $25,000 a year, you are part of the global 1%. And it's not like talking purely in terms of financial capital would also be wrong, right? Because we also have to start talking about political capital. And I'm talking about the political capital that like all of us wields, even if we are oppressed and being locked out of voting boots and whatever, right? 
purely by being American citizens, we hold a form of political power that like 99% of this planet does not. Don't have to have visas for most countries. It's not even just don't have to have visas. Oh my God. Countries. Speaking speaking of which, just like some a privilege that we like, oh my God, I can't believe I actually said privilege, but like a privilege that me and you currently both had and have had for several months now is that we're both fully vaccinated. Yeah, meanwhile, there are other countries. American culture. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are some countries who like they don't even know when they're gonna get vaccines. Like physically ship, you know, physical shipments of vaccines. Like Taiwan is literally having to beg for physical shipments. That is not something we are going to ever have to face. Meanwhile, like pretty much everyone that we personally know in our daily lives has been vaccinated at this point. Like New York State is literally celebrating hitting herd immunity today. Yeah. By the most stringent measure, we have hit herd immunity. So all um, lockdown restrictions are completely lifted tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not just that, like, we don't need to worry about the fact that our government is going to be overthrown. Meanwhile, if you live... I'm not so sure about that. I mean, like, okay, like, we live in more assurance than, say, somebody who lives in Thailand, right? Or somebody who lives in Myanmar, or somebody who lives in, like, Guatemala, or God forbid, the, like, Honduras, right? Given the events of this year, I wouldn't be so sure. I mean, let's put your conspiracy theories aside, but like, they stormed the Capitol. It's not a conspiracy theory. We're still around. We're still around. That had happened in any other country, and their government would have been gone the next day, right? In certain countries, that is a very, very real thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's the difference. Somebody can storm Congress and, like, we're still around six months later. Somebody storms, like, the Capitol. Like, in Turkey, they storm the Capitol and, like, the next day they're waking up in dictatorship. Um, going back to Johnny's Corner. So, yeah, thank you, Hannah, for explaining why... Huh. Um, the whole debate about the anti-blackness of not liking King and Prince's magic touch. Um, so yes, they do have Instagram now. They do have Twitter. They do have YouTube. All their videos are Congrats. on YouTube now. Congrats. And um, another magic touch is my favorite song of the month. One of my favorite songs of the year. Um, another one of my favorite songs of the month I'm kind of combining Johnny's Corners and my fave for the month would be King and Prince's, not King and Prince's, Heisei Jump's Negative Fighter, which I talked about a bit earlier. And someone said to me, Ronald, this is like kind of cutesy for you to like. And I was just like, this is something that almost got me canceled a while back. And I was just like, it's cute, but still like fresh and modern. And I don't mind cute on men. Yeah, you don't. Girls, I don't like it. And you said something interesting where you were just like, well, when it's cute with a man, there's no sexual overtones. Okay, that's not what I said. That is not what I said. What did you say? I said there are things about how our, by our, I mean like American again, 
um, culture looks at childhood in black women in particular that is going to make you, Ronald, dislike cutiness in women more. What do you mean? Because American culture tends to force adulthood on black women a lot. Like My mom isn't black, though. I'm not talking about your mom. I'm just talking about American culture in general tends to discourage the idea or like the romanticization of childhood in black women. We don't tend to recognize that like childhood is a thing for women in black society. Um, Mostly in order to justify sexualization of very, very young black girls, right? That's misogyny. Mm -hmm. And so like, yeah, you're not gonna like it because this is going to be part of that. But like a lot of people don't like cute concepts in general, even if they aren't black. Because this is just part of a social conversation about that, right? We don't tend to romanticize childhood in general for girls, right? Building into misogynoir, like misogynoir steeps into all facets of society. And this is one of those ways. Mm-hmm. So why don't I have a problem with it with men? Because we don't have a problem with admitting and romanticizing childhood when it is quote unquote coded neutral, right? And what's neutral in a patriarchal society, that's that's men. Mm-hmm. So like cutesiness in men is a coded neutral childhood reminiscence. Mm-hmm. I see. So basically it's a lacking of sexualization, which I basically said you said earlier and you said no. It's not like lacking of sexualization would be too simplistic. It's not lacking sexualization. It's literally that like, we can't see women as anything but sexual beings. And so the idea that there's this not sexualized view of childhood, right? is like shocking to us. I see. Like it is completely foreign to people that people can be cute and girlish at the same time and not be sexualized. Like that is foreign. So we immediately jump to like a cutesy girl must be sexualized. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see your point. So, um, so what was I going to say next? So, was there anything else you wanted to talk about this month, Hannah? Oh, so listen to Kent Harai 
This is my continuation of Kemochi's Amazing series because 1995 was the first time that I thought he was actually like half decent. Oh, Lord. You mean, am I wrong? <laughs> yes, you're so, very wrong. As someone has been listening to him for years, decades at this point. Yeah, but you admitted him yourself. You're like, oh, like his only good stuff are all the B-sides on his albums. I never said that. I said the thing is, though, is I said he has up-tempo songs. Because the thing is, though, is like a lot of people... B-sides. A lot of people tend to... Um, a lot of people tend to call the artists that I like boring. I mean, are they wrong? Yes, they are wrong. Because if they were boring, I wouldn't listen to them. But they are boring. Oh, my God. They're fun to me. They are fun to me. You admitted yourself that you wouldn't be able to go to any of their concerts. Because I never said that. I said... You said going to a concert would be difficult because I said going to concert. Uh huh. Go ahead. I said the thing. I said the thing is though is that going to some of their concerts would be difficult due to the fact that um, they do not represent their their concerts tend to go for just the hits and they don't tend to focus on their entire discography and a lot of their best songs tend to be ones that are non-singles. Exactly. The non-single B-sides. Well, when you say B-sides, I think of like songs on a single. I don't I think of album tracks as something different than B-sides. Oh, like in Idledom, B-side refers to anything that is not the headliner. I think of B-sides as like other songs on a single and album tracks as like other songs on an album that are not singles. So yes. So yes, you like you like the B-sides. Mm-hmm. Right. But yes, I do not seek out Kidai Ken's uh, B-sides because I thought he was just a bore, which all of his A-sides and all of his greatest hits are. Oh my god, Candy, Popstar. Popstar was the only good one. The rest of them are completely boring and snooze fest. But I saw a performance in 1995 and it was excellent. So listen to that. And anime music has been really good in uh, May. Mostly because all the seasons, I guess, are wrapping up and like all the new seasons are coming out. So like Serizawa Yu's Everybody, which was apparently like a TRS throwback, was amazing. And so was Moe Shop with Kizuna Ai. Kizuna Ai continues to be best VTuber music out there, despite being the most boring VTuber to watch. Seems to be a trend with anime. But yes, listen to her stuff. That's all. Oh, you also like the Fuji Kaze song um, that came out. We forgot to talk about it. <laughs> you said you were. You said it was one of your favorites of the month, and you were going to talk about it later on. So here's your chance yeah. to plug it. So for the, the longest time, I was super confused why people were pushing this like weird, weird looking dude. He has. He should probably use some of his money to get plastic surgery. 
How is um, he like considered weird looking? The one thing that people always say about him is that he's hot. In what room? Oh, but then again, I forgot. Hannah's the one that thinks Jinezu Kenshi is like God's gift mm-hmm. to like visuals. Maybe not. Maybe not God's gift to visuals, but he's good looking. Mads Mikkelsen is good looking. Hannah has trash taste in men's what? aesthetics. Hannah cannot appreciate the beauty the of men. Right? Like, I think Baki has good taste. Hoshino Gen is very, very, very cute. Um, but anyways, Fujikaze, I thought his music was kind of weird. And some of the music videos kind of creeped me out. But then I saw this, this song that got me to understand, oh, this is why people think he's brilliant. The song is called Kirari. And it was just released in May. Everyone should check it out. It is very, it's very calming. Mm, it's probably like his one of his more up-tempo songs too. It's like, it's calming, but it's up-tempo, which is a very eclectic mix, but I will definitely be playing when I go off to Hawaii or something, right? It's the kind mm. of thing that you want for the summer. I can see that. It feels like um, twice his recent song. The the song that is definitely going to be some music at some like beach bar somewhere, right? Take a picture. Not take a take a picture is need you. The oh. alcohol free thing. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't pay attention to K-pop. Um. So anything else you like this month? I would say that's it. But there's going to be more in June. <laughs> so I did most of my things in Johnny's Corner. Like I said before, Magic Touch by King and Prince. And Heisei Jump's Negative Fighter. Something else I really liked, too, was Seho's digital mini album, Camp. It was a Amazon Music exclusive. And it was the first release, first release in their new producers project, which basically is when Amazon Music recruits a producer and then has them create a release for the company and pretty much amazon funds it they give them like free reign to like work and do whatever they want for the release so um for camp seho got a number of people who i like like everyone knows how much i love saro um and akko and shinza dopeness and also Kid Frazino. So it's very like, it's electronic and also like hip hop. It's very fresh, very fun. So if you haven't listened to that, I would recommend Seho's Camp. Seho's a pretty cool guy. I interviewed him a couple of years ago in Brooklyn, right after he produced Daichi Miura's Cry and Fight, which basically was Daichi's breakthrough to the mainstream because that's the song that got him on music station for the first time and people were just like oh my god he's so talented like he can dance and sing well at the same time why is this guy not a star oh his face mm-hmm. it's very unfortunate so yeah um Seho is partially to blame for that 
because if he would if he didn't make Cry and Fight so good, it wouldn't have gotten so much attention and wouldn't have gotten Daichi on Music Station. Now everyone just like drags him because of his looks. Even I can't. Even I can't justify it. <laughs> Daichi's much better looking than Yunezu Kenshi. Okay, but Daichi looks like a frog. Hoshino Gen looks like a frog. I like Hoshino Gen. Hoshino Gen is cute. He looks like a frog, though. He looks like Kermit the Frog. Yeah, and like one frog is better looking than the other. Yunezu Kenshi's like a horny toad. A, a horny toad. At least people aren't saying that he looks good, besides me. Yeah. We'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. Okay, Hannah, any last words? Nope. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and happy Pride Month, everybody. Oh, yeah. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you. Bye. Good night.